Hey guys, thank you so much for listening into the Big Red Lily podcast. Um, real quick, um, if you are a frequent listener of the podcast, please uh, give us a like, give us a share, subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. That way we can reach you guys even more quickly. Um, we have content coming out weekly. We're so immensely grateful for you guys listening, regardless of how often or how long. Uh, again, thank you all so much. Um, it means the world to us. Now we bring on to the show Louisville's newest writer covering the Louisville football program for the Courier Journal, uh, Cameron Teague Robinson. Man, thank you so much for taking time out of your Tuesday to talk to us. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, of course, man. So you've been here now for a little over a month, if I've got that right. Yeah, it'll be two months on the 20th. So how have things been just getting assimilated into the community here in Louisville? Oh, it's been good. It's been good. I mean, the people at the Courier Journal have been great. They've helped me out a lot with that. Um, I really, I mean, just the community is pretty, has been great too. When I first got here, I got a ton of emails and phone calls with either people welcoming me or just giving me suggestions on places to go. Lots of tweets from people suggest, uh, giving me suggestions on places to go. So, uh, it's been pretty good so far. Yeah. That was actually, uh, one of our next initial questions was, uh, since you've only been here a little bit of time, what's your favorite place to eat in Louisville so far? Oh, that's tough. Um, so I, well, I would say because I've been here, I've been here for two months at, on the job, but I haven't necessarily been in Louisville for two months. I spent right. like two weeks in Omaha. I spent a week and a half with my family in Mexico for vacation. Um, so I've been kind of back and forth, but I, I love, I went to, I've been to Hopcat. Hopcat or Topcat? I think it's Hopcat. Hopcat, yep. All right. Yeah, that's a great place. Uh, great beer selection. Yeah. Um, so that's, that, that's a good spot. Um, I'm a big coffee fan. Um, so I've been to, I think it's pronounced Sejanos, um, and I can't think of the place by me, and I, I just, it's bad because I was just there writing. I like to write at coffee shops. I know I exactly the place you're – yeah, I know where you're talking about, and I'm I, not even going to try to attempt to pronounce on, that either. Yeah. On Barstown Road? Yeah. Oh, what is yeah, that place yeah, called? Yeah. I know what you're talking about. It's a good I, place. I, I just yeah. heard it the other day, and I don't know how to say it, so I'm not even going to try and embarrass yeah. myself. Yeah, but, but yeah, so I've enjoyed the coffee. Um and then, I mean, I'm a really big Chipotle and Canes fan, and there's a Chipotle like two blocks from me, and then a Canes like right down the street from the Chipotle. So, so you're set, man. I've been, I've been, I'm pretty, I'm pretty shape. Honestly, all I heard is that you you showed up for a new job into Louisville, and then you've basically been everywhere else, especially a man that can take a vacation the first month of a new job. Respect, yeah. first off, yeah. that's impressive. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, we were kind of joking uh, amongst ourselves before we called you because my timeline of you is basically you showed up to Louisville and then got on a bus straight to Omaha. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay. I just want to make yeah, sure I had that right. So yeah, that that's kind of yeah. what uh, my first big question for you is, is for your initial thought of, of starting to write about Louisville athletics and then you're just thrusted into the college world series uh, into what was a super eventful one, uh, especially for Louisville. Yeah. I mean, what are your, what are your summer, some of your thoughts, some of the biggest, memories takeaways i mean what just tell me a little bit about that 
it was cool. I mean, I'm not a huge baseball fan, and I say that. I mean, that's put it nicely. I just baseball. I like going to baseball games right. as a fan, but like I just it, sometimes it's just I can't watch it on television. It's kind of boring. I hear you. But so it was weird being thrust into that position. Um, but they asked me to do it, so I was going to say no. Um, and I got pretty lucky. I mean, they did ran through the regional, super regional to the to Omaha. Um, it was really cool to get to another team. And I kind of use it as just like an experiment on how I wanted to do football a little bit. Um, but just getting to know the team really well. Coach Dan McDonald's great, great to work with. Um, I was, and that, that was a blast. Omaha was sweet because I got to do a lot of great work. Uh, I was pretty much there for, I think, 12 days. And I just wrote two, like, almost two things a day for 12 days, which was, which was great. I mean, I got to do a lot of great work. Ate, pretty, ate really well. Um, I got to see what ended up being a pretty historic postseason run for them. Uh, so it was a good time. Right. Transitioning into football a little bit, which is what you are here to cover uh, for the University of Louisville. You've been around the program now for about a month, like you said. And you've gotten to spend yeah. some time with, with Scott Satterfield and some of the coaching staff. What has been kind of your big takeaway in terms of – because you, you've not been here for Bobby Petrino. You've not been around the program for yeah. you know some of the previous players and coaches. What's been your big takeaway and just kind of the vibe around the program right now? Uh, it seems to be upbeat. Uh, um, they seem, I think, really, I think this goes with any football program when you go through a, coach, a coaching chain. Once your new coach gets in, there's a positivity, a, a kind of a feel of hope. Um, this is kind of a jolt of energy that comes with it because you have new blood in the, in the program. Um, I think they, I think that is going to propel them a lot. I think that's big because that wasn't there last year from everything I've heard. Um, but I think they're also kind of realistic as, as in a sense of they know that this is a, this is a rebuilding process. Um, I don't think they're going to expect to go out there and go undefeated and be in the national championship game next year. I don't think anybody expects that. I think they know they, they have set, set what they want to do in terms of building the process back up. Um, and so far, I mean, you're talking about he said if he got here in December, almost seven months now, um, he's been, been doing a pretty good job so far. When you watched Louisville last season while you're covering Missouri, if you even did watch Louisville last season, what, what did you kind of think um, in terms of what was happening? I mean, you, you look at a coach in Bobby Petrino who had been extremely successful uh, as, as even in his second tenure with Louisville with Lamar Jackson, had gotten them close to the college football playoff, and then to have that epic collapse. What were kind of your thoughts as you watched that from afar, not knowing what you were going to step into just a few months later? Yeah, well, I guess the big thing, well, I watched a lot of Louisville when Lamar was there, as did, as did everybody. I mean, Lamar was just such a, a great talent, just electrifying to watch. I thought my biggest thing going into last year was how would they do without Lamar to kind of make up for things. But I mean, no one no one believes that Louisville team was perfect, I mean, under with Lamar. Lamar. Lamar makes up for a lot of mistakes that go on on the field, so I was curious how that would change. Um, and I'll be honest, the only Louisville game I watched last year because – Mizzou was having a good year, and we were kind of focused on that. Was uh, the Florida State game? A good friend of mine is a Florida State fan, and so obviously everybody knows how that changed, how that went down. But it was just, it was just weird to see and hear how um, the season went, and almost how I just, they just wasn't very competitive in any, in hardly any of the games. I know they got clobbered by Clemson, but that's Clemson, but you still don't expect to get clobbered like that. Um, but yeah, that that was my biggest takeaway, and, and just hearing from people how 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 uncompetitive they were last year. You you wrote a great article for the Courier Journal on Scott Satterfield and and kind of his new leadership style, instituting this ten strong leadership group. Um, and a lot of the focus of that article was on Jawan Pass, a guy who Louisville fans really watched struggle last season. 
uh, as the, the right. you know, the guy who was supposed to step into Lamar Jackson's shoes and, and a coach who said that the offense was going to be better without Lamar Jackson with Juwan Pass at the helm. Um, you know, Juwan had an, just a, a really unfortunate string of events with how he was pulled in and out of games and really kind of yanked his confidence around. When Satterfield got here and began working with the, the players on this team, uh, what was it in your mind that he sensed he had to do with Juwan Pass to get him back on point, not only in a performance standpoint, but from a confidence standpoint? I think, for, honestly, I think I don't think Scott Satterfield really thought he had to do much because I think Satterfield in general is just a very – I don't know if, you've, if you if you talk to him, you just get a great sense. It's a good vibe. He, you sense that he believes in you. And I think that's the biggest thing Juwan Pass needed. Um, you mentioned the confidence. They, they needed to get him – to be a leader for this program, they needed to get his confidence back up. Back up. They needed they needed Puma to come out, um, the, the one everybody talks about. Um, and I think part of be, part of that is being in that leadership group. I think that will help him become a more vocal leader. I think in that story I wrote that he thought he was a leader last year. He just didn't really speak up. He used to sit in the back of the room in meetings. He just he used to kind of focus on leading by example. This year, uh, he knows he needs to be a vocal leader. Uh, if he if he wants to lead this program the way he wants to, and I think that's been one of the biggest things they focus on. Re- reinforcing that he can't be that leader. They tell him sometimes when to speak up, when he needs to speak up as he continues to learn. Um, but I think this, this, this coaching staff has done a pretty good job in just reinforcing how talented Juwan is and that he can lead this program. When I think it, reading through your article, I think one big quote that stood out to me towards the end, uh, speaking of past, was uh, you have him quoted saying, you know, I challenged myself too, but they definitely challenged me and brought it out of me. So when you're talking about, you know, bringing out you know, the, the Puma that everybody was expecting to see, uh, I think it's really encouraging, you know, from that quote that he's basically, you know, he's letting everybody know, like, yeah, I, exactly what you're talking about. He he was sheltered last year. You know, there's a lot of things going on. But now, you know, the coaches have instilled the confidence in him to really uh, come out and be confident with everything he's doing right now. Right. And now I, the quarterback position isn't just going to be handed to him. I think he said he's obviously still going to have to compete with Malik Cunningham. But – I think if he can continue to build up some of that confidence, I think he puts himself in a pretty good spot. In terms of the the ten strong leadership group, how do you see it playing out? Um, in has we ha- I mean, obviously right now there's there's nothing happening in terms of wins or losses, but how do you see it transitioning to on the field and the impact it has on the overall team as they go in and they face teams like Clemson and Notre Dame, Virginia, Syracuse, some of these these big programs in the ACC. Yeah, and I think I may may have even mentioned it in that story. I said that the ten strong group has no bearing on the talent he put on the field. They just got to feel it has the roster that he has. He has, has no bearing on um, making players better fundamentally, um, making, making them play harder. I think what this group does, one, it builds their chemistry for a program, for a group that really didn't, that was really kind of divided last year. Um, and I think it makes them want to play harder for each other. I think when you, when you can, when you can have a, what they're calling a player led program, that makes the players want to you, – you end up on the field in the fourth quarter when things are getting tight and you're tired. You play for the guys next to you instead of the head coach with the headset on. Not that they don't appreciate Coach Satterfield, but I think – and I think in general, most sports, teams play better when they're playing for the guys that are with them uh, in between the lines. And I think that's what a player-led program kind of lends itself to. You, you wrote another great article um, on Louisville football, specifically football recruiting in the class of 2020. You hear it all the time with, with football recruiting that, that – these high school kids feel like they, they sense something and can and see something special being built. I think you used that quote several times in your article. 
and one of the guys who said that specifically was was Chubba Purdy, who was on campus, and, and it didn't look like a commit was was coming anytime soon, and then it and then it happened out of nowhere. If you had to put your finger on it, what is it that's standing out to the players who are coming in and visiting that are committing? What what is it that's special about the program right now? I think one thing, one thing I think there's probably a few things. One of them is Satterfield himself, and I'm telling you guys, like I said before, I think he just has a good vibe about him. I think he's very genuine. I think what you see is what you get, and I think that's what players and coaches like. Um, it's what I've heard from a few players and coaches and parents as well. Um, I think, too, also they're being – I mean, they're going to come here and they know they're going to have a chance to compete for playing time. There's not – I mean, this team doesn't even have a full roster right now. So you're looking at a 2020 class. It's going to be a large 2020 class. Um, and if these guys come in and do the right things, they have a chance to compete early. Um, guys like Josh Minkins, I think he's a guy who could potentially come in and, and compete for a spot in the secondary pretty early. Um, I think that's that's kind of the the bulk of their pitch is the, the coaching staff is who they are. They're not they're not going to be fake. They're just kind of going to be who they are all year long. And then also these guys have a chance to come in and turn around a Power Five ACC program. And I got one more recruiting question for you before we hit uh rapid fire questions on you but uh i mean how with with the you know the 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 progression they're having in their current class right now and the steam you're really starting to see and and they're really starting to gain traction how do you see this 2020 class uh rounding out in your opinion yeah i think i think they'll pick up a few a few more commits i think what coach satterfield told me is that he'd want ideally want two-thirds of your class done by the first game now, you won't see much done now in the next month because it's a dead period. Right. You may see it pick up a little bit before the first game. Um, and then you have early signing period and then the late signing period. Um, I, be- I I would imagine they pick up a, a, a few more, I wouldn't say a bunch, but a few more recruits. I think they probably get closer to 30 than to 20 um, just because they need numbers. Right. Um, and I think you, you see them add a few more pieces on probably both sides of the ball. I mean, the, really the whole recruiting class, you have a posi- almost a guy at every position which is ideally what you want when you're starting to kind of rebuild and kind of get your guys in the program. All right, let's 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 talk a little bit on the field. I know you're still getting adjusted to Louisville and learning everything about the program, but I, I want to lob up a couple of rapid-fire questions to you. We'll, we'll just take a, a quick answer without much explanation. Win total right. for 2019, if you had to guess today, where do you put that number? Three. Three, Okay. Offensive MVP. Yeah, if, you're, if you're looking at that that roster, you're looking at some of the talented pieces on the offensive side of the ball, where do you go? Who's the guy that is the standout guy when we get to the end of the season? Um, I'll, I think you could go either Des Fitzpatrick or Hassan Hall. I think based on Satterfield's offense, I'd go Hassan Hall. Okay, let's switch sides to the other side of the football. Defensive MVP. Who's the guy? That, that's, a, that's a unit that Louisville fans will tell you. It's been a long time since we've had a good defense. Who's the guy this year who kind of yeah. leads the charge in turning it around? Uh, Dorian Etheridge. Dorian Etheridge, okay. And lastly, this one's a little bit tricky. Uh, X factor, that doesn't necessarily mean somebody who's going to have you know huge stats or uh, is going to be you know a primary guy, but who is the guy in your mind that, that brings something to this team that they desperately need? They could help us win that 50-50 game. I, and this might not be a popular pick, but I think it's Ty Beckton. I think he, he's, a, he's a leader. He's an NFL talent and a leader on that line that can really help get them going um, from the year they had last year. So you've been here now almost two months, like you said. We want to give you – we just want to ask a couple of questions about the city of Louisville. Kind of step away from uh, – well, we're going to ask you a couple of Louisville football questions in this. But 
first memory that you have, whether it's a little kid or whether it's two years ago, of Louisville football? Uh, Lamar Jackson running through the Florida State defense. And, and it's funny because they just reposted that video on Twitter today. Um, this is what, two, two, three years ago? It was that. It was the Louisville was number 10 and Florida State was number two. Yeah. Um, it was like a 50 yard run. I was just, I was like, man, this guy yeah. is unbelievable. 42 um, yards. That I, game, they just absolutely blew up Florida State. I just wrote this this past week. I just put together the top 12 plays of the last, I think it's the last nine years. That is number two in terms of standout plays. Second question, coming from Missouri and being from, from Ohio, I know you've worked in places and covered a lot of programs and, and different schools. Where do Louisville fans stand in terms of passion and love as a fan base for their their, their sports? Um, You know, if, if baseball is any kind of like incentive, I think it's it's up there. Um, I, so I've covered three college – this is my third college program I've covered. I covered – I went to Bowling Green State in Ohio. So I would say they're probably – and then obviously Mizzou. Um, I would say that right now they're probably in the, between Mizzou and Bowling Green just because I haven't covered a full football season. Mizzou fans get kind of crazy around football and basketball season, but they're a different kind of crazy. They, uh, they're a whole different breed in my mind. Um, but I, I've heard great things about Louisville. I just haven't seen it during a, like a major sports season. That's fair. All right, last question, and we'll get you out of here. Coolest thing that's happened since you've been in Louisville? Now, I know a lot of the time you said was not in Louisville, but what's been the coolest thing since you've been covering the university? Oh, oh that's tough. Um, you mean the coolest thing, like, at, at the university? or Just, just, in, general? just in general, just anything related to the program, whether it was something that happened in Omaha, something that's been when, when you've spent time with Coach Satterfield, just anything to you that's just been like, man, that was pretty freaking cool. I think something I'll always remember, no matter what program or wherever my career goes, is that walk-off against Mississippi State. Um, that that game was just unbelievable. Um, it was it was one of those things where it was late, and you you you're thinking that they're going to lose. So I had my story written. I was ready to change my flight, and then the walk-off happened, and it was just an unbelievable kind of atmosphere and feeling, and you get a rush of adrenaline. Um, That'll be something that's kind of weird. I was first so early in my time here, but that'll be something I remember forever. That was an incredible moment. Well, Cameron, man, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to talk to us. You guys can find all of his great work on the Courier Journal website, and you can follow him on Twitter at CJ underscore T. Cameron, man, thank you. We really appreciate it. We hope to talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, buddy. All right, I want to talk a little bit about an article that we published yesterday on Big Red Louie. Between seven of us from the website, myself, Presley, Alex, and then we had Ross, Profader, Kyle Brown, Nick Connor, and uh, Alan Thomas. I, I want to talk through these what we call bold predictions, right? Um, first of all, some of these are pretty out there. Some of them are relatively safe. I'd say there's a good chance that some of these are going to be laughable in five months, and some of these are going to be close to spot on. So I, I want to start with Alex. Let's talk about yours because I think yours is the most, I don't want to say hot take because that's the most cliche to think. You but said I, I, laughable and then look, sh like look straight at me. No, 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 no. I as just soon was, as you you're, said that you're in the microphone. No, I was not looking at you because I, I don't necessarily disagree with well, you. But DJ, tell already, DJ already said like mine was laughable I, and so i think there's a lot of fans who might think that so tell first of all tell them what what is your prediction for the season in terms of bold take okay so you texted me saying i needed to contribute to an article about a bold take 
So I was just following classroom order, and I yeah. presented you a bold take that Louisville would go bowling this year. I think, um, yeah, obviously the challenge is the schedule, and we've looked at that many times. But I think in a little quick summary of my article, I basically said you got EKU, you got WKU. Those should be, you know, somewhat solid locks for wins, in my opinion. Uh, WKU, I think, would be definitely more entertaining. I think we're all pumped to go to Nashville for that game. Uh, my next win, I think I wrote about, was uh, Louisville upsetting FSU at at FSU. I really do think that's possible this year. Uh, that's That window is definitely closing uh, as they keep turning things around. But I really don't think um, Taggart's going to have it all figured out. So I think we can go in there. I, th I really think we can sneak out a win in Tallahassee. And then we go to Wake Forest. We're going to be Road Warriors this year. Um, that's part of my crazy take. And we're going to beat Wake Forest. And then we're also going to beat NC State because I believe Dwayne Ledford is going to pump those guys up and have the offensive line ready to run through a wall uh, at the beginning of that game. So between that, it's really down to uh, either winning uh, Syracuse or Virginia. And I picked uh, Syracuse as a more realistic home win. I think we only go one and two uh, out of those two. Okay. And so then you're bowling. Um, and I know everybody wanted to, you know, is UK going to beat us? Are we gonna mm -hmm. be no. I I mean, who knows? I didn't want to go into that. But my whole thing was we go six and six, and uh, Satterfield is under undefeated in bowl seasons. So. Okay, so let me ask you this. Is that a, in terms of fan, is that just a crazy fan, like never believing that you're going to lose games? Or do you really feel like there's a part – in this team that you really could see win six games, if not more? Yes and no. So I guess a mix. But my whole thing is I try to look at it a little bit objectively too. I mean, FSU really does have issues. Um, and, and that fan base is very mixed, right. as are mm -hmm. the boosters and everybody else. So, like, Willie's on the hot seat right now. Um, so, I mean, if we have our crap together, I really do think there's a realistic chance we could win uh, at FSU. And the same goes for, you know, I think a lot of us already had Wake Forest as a as a good chance. That's the most winnable ACC game. Right, yeah. exactly. There's no, no way around it. I really think we could walk into Wake Forest and, and steal another one. Um, but the NC State and Syracuse, I, I kind of took a hard look because um, it was pretty interesting. I I think the tough, like the tougher ones out of that three are definitely going to be Syracuse and Virginia. Um, so, you know, we there's a definite chance we can go 0-2. Uh, at home sure. against Syracuse and Virginia this year. I mean, Virginia's top 25 preseason, and Syracuse is supposed to be, what, somewhere on the fringe, I think, like yeah, around I mean, there. I mean, yeah, solid. They're up there. Yeah, so I think the end of the schedule is going to be brutal. Um, yeah, the second half definitely is uh, a little more challenging than the first half. But my, my, my piece in the article, uh, or my little section of it, was essentially saying if we can get on the same page early, in the season, mm -hmm. if everybody can can buy in immediately and really start changing things, and like Jacob said the other week, if we can start out the first part of the season two and one, uh, going into FSU, I really just think that 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 bodes well uh, for our chances, not only in Tallahassee but but going forward after that. So I think by the time we do get to the harder part of the schedule at NC State at Syracuse, or yeah at NC State, and then we got Syracuse Virginia home, mm. you know I I think we're gonna be uh, confident enough to really really challenge them 
um, yeah. in those games. So so here's the thing. This is where I think that you can get in a little bit to talking about the schedule working in your favor and getting some games early. You talk about Eastern Kentucky, Western Kentucky. You hope that both of those are wins or else it's going to be a long season. Right. No, absolutely. Uh, I don't State, want another Indiana State right, in the exactly. rain. It, going to the fourth quarter. You have Florida State, Boston College, and Wake Forest. Those are three games that you say are either 50-50 or you feel pretty comfortable in. Right. You get two of those. You're talking four wins already. You get all three, which in your scenario, that's kind of what you see playing out. And at that point, you're, you've already got five wins in your first six. The thought of a Louisville football team being five and one in the first year of Satterfield would be nuts. It's nuts. Yeah, but then, but that's where it would happen, right? It has to happen right there. You got to win out of that first six games. You got to win at least four to even think about having a chance of stealing two more along the way. Everyone keeps talking about. Uh, everyone keeps talking about, you know, the the hidden talent that is still on this team that really didn't get to shine last year. I want to take that and 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 obviously, like if they can leverage and utilize that right. and and really gain momentum early. My whole piece of the article is just gaining momentum early. That that's all it is. If you can really right, capture exactly that early, right. you can use that talent. He uses that talent correctly. Yeah, we're good. we have a chance to win some of those fifty fifty games. Right. Most of the season is going to be fifty fifty games. Like yeah, that's, no, every that's game really, is a fifty fifty game. I mean, I mean, besides yeah, outside of Eastern, yeah. yeah, technically, yeah, on paper. Whatever. But outside of Eastern Kentucky, every game, even Western, you're not guaranteed to win that football game. No, like, no, that's they're what, just as big it, of a question mark as you right. are. Right, and I was like, that's why we should handle yeah, the right. Win, but you never know. Is I mean, he crazy? No, I mean, obviously, I'm not saying you believe this is gonna happen. I understand. I think he is. You're doing your. What'd you um, say? The classroom rules. Yeah, I get. Yeah. It. I got you. Yeah. yeah, you gave me an assignment. I I provided you <laughs> a with plus, a with a, a bold plus, buddy. with a bold prediction. That I mean, that was the definition of bold, and and uh, my bold prediction was that um, Satterfield um, is actually gonna go with laser tag instead of bowling. I know Petrino is a bowling guy. Yeah. And they went all right. Now, uh, in in all honesty. Uh, you really, you really don't know what is that the word? <laughs> I don't think you anybody guys, knows what you're talking about. We're like, sure, buddy. What? No, okay, so yeah, but it's so. Petrino <laughs> used to say, Petrino used to take the team bowling. Okay. Satterfield. Okay, he's gonna take him laser, laser tag. tag. I prefer uh, arcade games. So and I, I prefer Dwayne Ledford just feeding the crap out of these kids with his big green egg because following that online has been phenomenal. Is that your bold take that he's gonna make something really phenomenal in his green egg? Big egg. What is it? Green egg. Big egg. I don't know what it is. I know what it is. It's like a like big green egg. Big green egg. All right. So it's both of them. So in all seriousness, I I don't I don't think that you're crazy at all. Um, and the reason is is because I don't think that, um, as we saw just three years ago, just two years ago, even teams are not always as good as we think they are as as a fan. Yeah. And they're not always as bad as we feel like they are. Yeah. All of a sudden, people are you know the the consensus is like two, three wins and, um, you know, pessimism above the, um, among the fan base, but just going into last year, you know, Jacob, would you pick the team to win 10 games? Uh, you keep bringing that up. I, when I, are you going to let I me live nine. that down, man? I, 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 I got to live that down at some point. I was listening to the radio earlier. Luke Hancock said he said nine and his said he yeah. said eight. So like, it, this isn't, that was a consensus thing going into last year. Like people expected that that team to be great. They don't lose hardly anything from last year's team. So by that, if you if you're just working around that premise, I mean you look at the turning points that we talk about last season. I mean the the start like granted they played Alabama, so that's that's just for, wiped out of your mind for a second. The first real game that they played in uh, 2018 was against Florida State. 
they pretty much were one just boneheaded, stupid call away from beating Florida State, like you were just saying. So if, you know, with, with the momentum that can get rolling um, in college football, I mean, who knows how the season turns out if they literally just run the ball and run out the clock and win the game against Florida State. My whole summary argument of momentum with football teams is last year alone as a case study. Yeah. No one thought Kentucky would have one of their most historically successful seasons. The same exact time Louisville would have one of their, you know, historically worst seasons we've Mm -hmm. had in the modern era. So no one predicted that either way. So you see what happens when a team can gain momentum early or – you know, you can see what happens when a team literally doesn't have any momentum early. Like, it, it can change the rest of a season. And I think that that's what my whole, you know, crazy, bold right. take hinges it, on. It, is, I, is literally, you know, if if they do capture momentum early, here's what might happen. I think it's bold, but it's not all caps. Like, I think it's just bold. Like, you know, yeah. I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm just going yeah. with all the puns today. But All right, so fine. tell me about yours. Because I think yours is really interesting, and I think that... If your prediction is even remotely close, it means that this football team is a lot better than we thought they right. would be. Right, and I, I think that that's the fun stuff that we get into this time of year is that we really break down what the intangibles of becoming, you know, especially this year. Like, the, the only direction they can go is up. Like, I'm sorry. Like, last year, that was, I mean, sitting through some of those games last year, like, it was hard to not leave the stadium or turn off the TV. Like, it just was. Anytime you can double your win total at four, yeah, that, exactly. seems, that seems that people are talking about that, exactly. and I'm like, oh, so that's it. When when yeah. you talk about the intangibles of last season, when you talk about the stuff that just has to be improved, I mean, the first thing that I look at is is the amount of sacks that they allowed last year, and the reason being, well, I would say two things: it's it's offensive line and defensive line plays, sacks given up, and sacks that they recorded. Right. And my bold prediction was that. Louisville will allow fewer than 20 sacks this year. And the number from last year is 42. 43. 43 is that right? Four, I, I, I think I had 44. 44. Okay, either way. It doesn't matter. They're ranked 119th yes, out of 130 like, teams. And, and everybody's – the big story going into last year was, okay, finally Louisville has an elite offensive line um, and that finally they're developing some depth. Finally they have a good offensive line coach. None of that stuff panned out. Uh, everybody was saying, oh, well, it was because of Lamar Jackson. You know, he was unpredictable. You can't block for a guy who you're not going to – you can't predict what he's doing, that he doesn't even know what's going on from play to play, which it turns out probably wasn't that much of the truth. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, a few guys go out to injury, um, and then the whole thing just completely unravels. I mean, and the offensive line was just a complete sieve last year. Um there's still talent. Again, it's the same the same stories as what you're saying, Alex, which is why I don't think that your bold prediction is so just unbelievable that it just unfathomably just it just couldn't happen. Um, I, I think that um, with Dwayne Ledford, when when you talk about and and Keith Wynn talked about this a lot um, on our last podcast, um, offensive line players uh, specifically specific to the offensive line perform for their coaches and can and can make kind of a 180 turnaround faster than any other unit. Um, an offensive line coach can have a bigger impact than almost any other unit on the field. Yeah, and it, so I, and that that's why I say less than 20 sacks, which I think I think 20 is a really solid number. I, I do. I, I mean, it's more than half though. And you, so Alex, you wrote about this a couple weeks ago with Ledford and and yes. comparing with Mike Summers. 
and the numbers that you put out, they kind of give me some faith in what you're saying is from, from year uh, zero. So the first year without Ledford at NC state to year one of Ledford, the sack cut down was unreal. I don't remember what the exact number was, but uh, tell me a little bit about what you found when you looked at them and, and why the offensive line could be kind of like that. Yeah, I was actually getting really upset because I thought Jacob was just about to steal like my take from under the rug uh, verbatim. So, yes, I actually agree uh, with Presley's bold take um, because of that exact article I did write. And I believe, uh, not looking at the numbers right now, but essentially NC State went – from a number of like 43, I think maybe. It was like low like 40s, some, high 30s. Yeah, so essentially, because I, I told you guys as soon as I wrote it, this is a really eerie situation because the numbers were super, super similar. Uh, so yeah, NC State went from like something crazy, like 42, 43 sacks, and then Ledford came in, and then all of a sudden, uh, I think the very next season, they went to like 22 or 23. So it was like yeah, low 20s. Was, they literally just cut it in half. So yeah, almost sliced it in half right there. And then I think the year after it went to like, it went to the teens and then the they year, were in the, it, top five the year in the after, country. yeah, it went yeah. to so, like super, super low teens or like nine. I can think. I tell you the number? It was, it was insane. So, so 2015, so that's the last year that Leffer was at App State. NC State had 39 sacks that they gave up. 2016, they go to 17. That's okay. crazy. Yeah. So a little bit less than the difference between 44 and, and right. 20, and, which is and quite so significant. There's, there's merit to your argument because I think that if you look at – and again, I don't, I'm not going to sit here – I don't know every name of, of, of every NC State player that was on a 2016 offensive line, but I don't think that there's a huge talent gap between NC State's offensive line when Ledford took over right. and Louisville's this year. Right. They're the playing talent the same, is the, the same conference and the same division. Right. So and they're the, doing the same thing. They've got – I mean, that NC State team when he took over, I mean, Louisville blew them out a lot when, you know, in the early parts of the ACC. But they they quickly got better, and a part of that was their offensive line. I mean, the, right. the way that they ran the football and were able to give – you know, Jacoby, I think Jacoby Brisket, is that his name? Or Brissett? That's his name, not Brisket. Are you hungry? Yeah, I'm hungry. The big, green, <laughs> the big green egg has me going a little bit. But you have him, and then you go to Ryan Finley, and I don't remember a whole lot of them getting sacked. Like, I really don't. Even when Never. Louisville played them. We Never. might have beaten them, but we didn't sack the quarterback a lot. Right. Uh, Louisville's first year of, of Ledford's offensive line, they they did a number in, in their backfield. But if you remember, that defensive line was nasty. Right. They had three or four edge rushers that were pretty dirty that year. And that was the year that they just mopped the floor with them. It was like forty-four nothing at halftime, right? Yeah. So I want to I want to talk about mine now. You guys got your turn to talk about yours. So I want to tell. Okay. I want to talk about mine. And mine is player related. That's kind of where my mind went. It's where I went last year doing this for the first time. And the guy who continued to sticks out to me is Boozy Whitlow. I feel like people are talking about him a lot this year because they, you know, they understand what Petrino didn't for some reason. I don't right, know what so, it is. So let's play skeptic. Break this down for me. A okay. Bit because- so the first thing is. The, the bold prediction is that Boozy Whitlow will lead UofL in sacks next year, and the number that I put on it for him is pretty high when you think about what they did last year in terms of sacks, which is just 11 by themselves. Nine and a half sacks, 65 tackles, 13 tackles for loss. So I, I think he's going to be a serious... That's, that's pretty like high. all-conference numbers. There, like, and it's pretty high. Yeah, it is. And, and Maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. I haven't seen him play enough, so a lot of it is just based off of what I've heard and what I see with my own eyes, which is a guy who is like 6'3", 255. Like, he has NFL size. 
he shows on film from what I've again what I've seen to be a guy who has real skill. I don't know how it translates to this defense. I mean, the outside linebacker role traditionally in a three four has to be a guy who's fast and strong, and I see that when I look at him, and I see that when I watch him. But when you look about, if you just take the number away, take away the nine and a half that I put on there. But if you look at the rest of the defense, who's a guy that you can pinpoint and say, I can guarantee that guy's going to get me seven and a half sacks. Like maybe uh, now is Ty Tyler, which I when I wrote say, this, that he was not on the team. Okay. So give me a little bit of grace there. Oh, okay. I just hear excuses. No, it's not excuses. Well, he's walking I'm, a bag. No, because I, I don't. I don't necessarily. I don't. I'm not saying this is going to happen. I, I'm just following the classroom <laughs> rules. Uh, <laughs> We have to we have to take a step back here and look at last year's defense, who only recorded 11 sacks, I believe, for the entire year. They even averaged a sack a game. So to look at this team and say somebody's going to average seven sacks, nine sacks, ten sacks, like those are that's crazy. I mean, granted, we we come from um, historically Louisville's defensive line has has had some dominant players. I mean, I know Elvis Dumerville had uh, six sacks in a game back in Petrino 1.0 era and. I mean, th- there's been all kinds of um, players come through um, that um, – ton- tons, of, tons of names come, come to mind. But I think that when you look at the mold of a, a traditional Louisville, Louisville pass rusher, I think that Boozy Whitlow is a guy that fits the mold perfectly. I think that he's kind of – he can put his hand on the ground or he can stand up and kind of play like a, like a hybrid linebacker type of role. And just absolutely just crush it in, in, in the backfield. I'm, I'm sorry, Alex. So, Jacob, I got some stats that All I right. actually Hook think it up. I think I can make you feel a little bit better. Okay. okay. About your take, right? Okay. So, look, just looking through a, a couple little things that make me excited and make me actually believe uh, Jacob has a chance at his bull take. Um, so the first three years, Mark Ivy uh, was defensive line coach at App State. They had 109 tackles for loss and right under 53 sacks. Right. Uh, in back-to-back seasons, uh, they led App State. Him and Brown both led App State together uh, on the defensive side in in the conference in scoring defense and total defense. Right. Last year, or not last year, but in 2016, he basically also had the, I think they were ranked 20th in in, in rushing defense. Which is huge. So you you think about some of the teams we're playing, especially like Boston College, the teams that we know have really really good running backs, uh, and the teams that basically ran over us last right. year. Which uh, it, that's going to be the ammo for every team in the ACC, no matter who the defensive coordinator is. Run the football on these guys. It's right. The same guys run the football. And I think they know that. And I think I think they're gearing up for it. But I'm also saying the tandem we have right now on the defensive side coaching. Right. I really think they're going to cause some chaos in the backfield uh, and really surprise some people on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and the, the, so the really interesting thing about a 3-4 defense is a lot of what your guys who are rushing the quarterback have to rely on is the nose tackle to fill space and be able to kind of take up some blocks and then your your two edge guys who are rushing from the front three. So playing behind a guy like Jarrett Jackson on the defensive line, who I'm really excited about playing behind a guy like Ty Tyler playing behind somebody who is going to command a little bit of attention is going to free up boozy Whitlow, free up some of these other guys blitzing from the outside to, to allow the defense to do some pretty cool things. And again, it's all based off intangibles. I have no idea what this guy can do. He had two tackles last season because he, he didn't play And it. The whole question, I think there's a big, percentage of fans who knew football and who really followed the roster would be like, why is he not playing? 
This guy transferred from an SEC school. That makes no sense. He right. was he was the Colin Wilson of the defense. Yeah, right, exactly. And this year, he's a guy I've seen a lot in these videos that they're putting out. It's, I hear from a lot of people are, who are kind of excited about him, not necessarily saying he's going to be an all-ACC performer. But I think that if that guy can get going and get his confidence the way that Jawan is on offense, hope that you hope for, that guy can be really dangerous and give you a – NFL size, not an NFL skill, but an NFL size defensive end outside linebacker to mix up and make your defense dangerous. I think that 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 kind of is another one of those things that go into the six wins. Yeah, a lot of stuff has to happen, but if it does, this is where that's gonna. That's why we're gonna get to this win. Well, one one thing Keith said in in our interview with him the other week is that essentially the way Van Gorder wanted his defensive ran is that once you get to the backfield, you just kind of wait and see what happens like he had all these guys just wanting to just stand there and figure it out Mm -hmm. brown is all about action i mean you're talking about uh, a defensive coordinator um that is known uh, for having you know some of the top scoring defenses in the country it's crazy so you know he's going to make them get after it like they're going to be aggressive as hell they're going to be just go and play after play after play. They're not going to sit there and wait for things to happen. No, no, no. He wants to make them, uh, you know, he wants to impose his will on these offenses. And I'm really excited to see his style of play uh, because I think, as Jacob said earlier, we really do miss that, uh, especially in, in some of the great Grantham years we had with some of those awesome defenses. And, and, and the even, late strong years. Yeah, yeah. And I, that's exactly. And I was going to say, and really starting it with the strong years. Yeah, but, and even a couple in the Petrino years. You had yeah. Trayvon Young and you had James Hearns. Like, you had guys who could get after the quarterback. Yeah. And, and so I just think um, I'm really excited for the defense as well, just in general. You know, whether you want to single a guy out or not, I think I'm just excited to see that style of play come back to Louisville um, when we really, really had those those memorable or those memorable uh, defenses. Let's put some numbers on these if we can, uh, the ones that we can as we go through these. So um, the one we just discussed, Boozy will will lead the Cardinals in sacks. What do you think percentage chance? Jake is going to say 100. So no, I mean, I, I'm no, I'm yeah. Just kidding. So I feel like now that we know that they have a defensive lineman who's proven it's at least at some level. I think that that kind of shifts that percentage of happening pretty low because I, I think that Ty Tyler is going to be the guy who does everything for that defensive line. Yep. I will say 35%. I think that's a safe prediction. I was going to say 30%. So yeah. yeah. All right. I guess I can be the optimist and go like 40 or 45. <laughs> it's like the price is right where you just like put okay. $1 more under, on there. If it's over 50%, it's even that bold. Yeah. So. Yeah. Six wins in a uh, so seven six wins in a bowl game win percentage wise. What do you say? Ten percent chance. I'm gonna go twenty five. Ooh, wow! I did not think I'd get a quarter from Jacob. All right, I, I showed you where it could happen. It's gonna be yeah, on yeah, those first six games. Like yeah, that's absolutely. where it happens. It's critical. Yeah. Um, I'm a, yeah okay. Since that's that is my take, I'm gonna go like thirty to thirty five. I'm gonna give myself a window since it's mine. All right, but, new you know new caveat. Um higher percentage of chance of happening winning seven games or winning two games i say more likely they win seven than more two. likely to yeah. seven than two i agree I'm, yeah i i think uh they're gonna ride the momentum out there, there's no way and i've tried to look at this you know roster or i've tried to look at the schedule a hundred different ways i think we're definitely gonna get two i think we're definitely gonna get three yeah. um we should get four that is expected 
Then I you're re- closer to seven then. then that, I mean, you're the already math. closer to seven. That's how the math seven. works, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, five, not out of the know. question. Yeah, if it's not at five, it's close to seven. Okay, and then for you, 20 sacks or less. Well, 20 sacks, okay. So they give up 24 I'm, less than what they I'm going to say there's year. a 33% chance that that happens. I, I think this is the safest one out of all of them. I'd, I'd give it a, would you say 33? Mm-hmm. I'd give them 52. 20 sacks or less. Yeah, I See, think that I there's more likely a chance that they're going to improve. It maybe the reason why I don't go up higher is because maybe it's like 23 sacks. I just think the whole story, like even with some transfers and whatnot, I mean, like we had what five scholarship linemen. I mean, yeah, right. But you have a guy like Mackay back then. No, yeah. And absolutely. then you got Cole Bentley, Caleb Chandler. You have guys, and then T.J. McCoy. You have guys who you can kind of get that first unit at least serviceable. Right, and, and coming from the guy that thinks there's a chance we can go bowling, I'm just saying, you know, there's <laughs> there's there's also some really good teams we're we're playing with some really decent defenses. Yeah, uh, if you had that, to that's guess, that's my thing. Like, I'm just scared with the, I mean, there's some really really good linebackers on on Clemson and Notre Dame's teams. Like, mm-hmm. if you if you start like dissecting the rosters a little bit, like it, I'm like, whew, okay, there's a lot of we, teams. Yeah, like there's that. a lot of talent. Yeah, if you had to guess, how many teams last year in all Division One allowed 20 sacks or fewer? Four. 35. 35, Ooh. okay. All right. That just became a little more reasonable. So yeah. Presley just bumped mine up to maybe – I'm going to go 40. Okay, let's go yeah. through the rest of these. So we yeah, talked let's, about let's, we talked about earlier in the segment that we've got uh, several other writers who contributed in this. So let's just run through these, and we, we can say whether we think – percentage-wise what we think on this. So okay. Ross Profader says, outside linebacker Yasir, Yasir Abdullah will emerge as a standout third-down player. I mean – I think that's I think that eighty percent. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, I, I think it's he. It's he's not talked about enough yet. But I think that if you look at a guy who is just tailor made for what the new coaching staff likes to do, I think Yasir Abdullah is perfect because of his combination of strength and quickness. Yeah. I don't think personally that there's anything wrong with this. I think this is probably going to be the one where like, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. I have something wrong with it that I don't think it's a bold enough take. I think that's a it's just that's a thing a, that's gonna happen. He needs to write something a little more on the edge. Ross, okay? if you're listening, buddy. Also, can we not butcher Ross's name? Is it's it Profiter? Right? Is, is it? no? Okay, that's how no, I no, pronounce no. it. Honestly, Profiter. I didn't want to say anything earlier. Yeah. No, I'm gonna I don't text think... him and ask him how to pronounce. Okay, his name. that's I how do you to... pronounce it again, Jacob? Profader. I went to high school Pro... with his sister. Profader. Oh, and they said Profader. Yeah, that's how uh... I've always heard it. I've never heard profiter. Well, I mean, that's you, how I read it. Okay, yeah, that's see. how I read it. Okay. <laughs> I, I just, I'm gonna, Ross, I'm sorry. Ross, okay. I apologize. I've been, I know, butchering your name. Ross the prophet. All right, let's let's look at the second one All from right. from Kyle Brown. Okay. Louisville's defense will give up 100 rushing yards per game less than last season. 27,800 no. yards last year. 27,800. Did I say that right? That sounds really weird. 27. <laughs> 278. <laughs> what I say? 100? 270? What is going on? I don't um, know. I've been doing, bad at math. Yeah, bad at math. Really okay. bad at math. So they allowed an average of 278 rushing yards per game last yes. year. Okay. Will, that is so he, much. That is. God, I can't pronounce it. I can't believe I said 278. But point being, that is uh, giving up 100 yards less still only puts you at 178, which I would be interested to see where that fell last year in terms of defenses giving up yards. That's a hundred yards less. What do you think? I think mm-hmm. that there's like a seventy-five percent chance that that's true. I was first gonna tell Kyle that 
his prediction better come true. Yeah. First, I'm like, not, we're gonna be. Yeah. Louisville fans gonna be like, don't what do is that. Happening, man. Uh, but let's see. All right. So just real quick. So that would mean uh, 120 for Notre Dame. Since we we actually only let. I mean, 222 oh, so against Alabama isn't that. So what are you I gonna mean, go through? Each oh, one we're going through each no, no, one. No, I'm just, no, I'm just saying that's not terrible. I'm looking at some of these stats that he that he added with it. Indiana State at 174 yards. Yeah, that's. Oh my gosh, I'll never forget that that white kid playing running back. I, I mean, he was just killing Louisville for the first half, for what I watched, what I could manage to watch through that game. And you're sitting there and you're like, "What? What is happening? That kid is a Division two football player just running through a D one defensive line." Okay, so are we keeping EKU to under a hundred yards? No, probably not. No, I mean, with the amount of time it's in a football game, I think we can keep Georgia in- Tech under. Uh, 442 100 yards is a hell of a feat and here's why 170 yard play like i mean you you have two missed tackles in a play and that's 70 percent of the i mean under i mean louisville's is one missed tackle over the last few years and the guy's gone well, that's like, true yeah. so I, I think that there's a good chance this happens strictly because you have a defensive line a, a defense who who is going to be coached to run to the football and tackle as hard as they can like it, that the last few years has been is surprising where that's pretty important that has somehow been a non-coached element of Louisville football of like let's focus on you eight guys dropping back into coverage in a way that makes no sense and let's not worry about learning how to tackle and run after defenders and take the right angle so I think just based off that which it sounds silly there's 75 yards a game difference, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's a big run that they just eliminate. So, just to put this into in perspective, if they allowed 178 rushing yards per game. Where do you think they would? Where do you think they would have ranked in 2018? 59th. Like 60, 70, 79th. Which is, I mean, what they would have been wedged between Toledo and Pittsburgh. In terms of what Louisville has done the last two years, that's not horrible. You know what I mean? Like, that's a... I'll take some, I can take I'll that. Take, I'll take some Toledo stats. Okay, so what, what in terms of being able to do that, what do you think? What's the number? Percent uh, chance? Percent chance, yeah. 62 and a half. What, 100 under every game? Yeah. Is that, no, uh, eh. no, on, no, on average. On average. On average. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say, like, 55s to 65s. But my thing is, yes, uh, even if we... We're going to mitigate the rush as much as we can. I th- I think we're really going to see, realistically, a lot more turnovers and uh, a lot more scoring defense. Because, I mean, that's really what these guys excel at, yeah, at it's, doing as well. Like we're, It's just havoc. That's we're what going it is. for the kill every time. Yeah. That, that's the thing. Like That defense plays with, with 11 James Samples. Like They play with 11, guy, 11 right. Calvin Pryors. Like You're 11 guys for, who are just going after the football with everything. Right. That's You're going for interceptions, do. fumbles, literally Sacks, every single yeah. time. Okay, like so crazy. this one is my favorite. Oh, do, oh, do you want to go? Do you want to go with that one? Or do you want to save that for as like the? No, because I think this is the most like this. Okay, this is funny right. to me because like numbers wise, this is just gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> like so, Alan Thomas, Louisville football will break the school's single season home attendance record in 2019, which is fantastic in a season with a new coach. But when you're talking about last year and how that that Adidas expansion part of the stadium literally never had people in it. It looked like it was still under construction. Right. You saw the <laughs> Adidas logo, the whole thing, every single game. They just let me and Jacob up for a couple of games just to check out the view, snap yeah. some pictures yeah, it was for good. Twitter. It was, oh, I yeah, love it the a... seats, man. I love the seats. But just thinking about the Notre Dame game alone, which is likely a sellout. It's going to be the highest attended by That's going to be that, that alone right there. So that's the attendance record for the most fans ever at a single Louisville game. Because you, you have 10,000 new seats. The schedule next year is just 
automatically indicative of that because they host Notre Dame and Clemson. Ninth, ninth ranked, uh, toughest schedule in the country according to CBS. Fifteenth mm-hmm. according to Field Still. Like that, they've got one of the toughest home, like the the toughest schedules in the country and toughest home schedules in the country. Is that fair? Is that fair for Satterfield though? Like you just come in, waltz right into the university, and your first game just happens to be. The most record attendance ever in the history. Petrino's was the same way. Well, and wh- whoever coached the game when the flight deck opened, like that was the same <laughs> yeah. way for that game. Like that's just it's just that was, pure numbers. That's, that's why right. first, is so first funny. First game of the, the Charlie Strong era. So there you go. Yeah. We open up every expansion with a new coach. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. That actually. Well, okay. So last year doesn't count sense. then. So that expansion technically yeah. wasn't there. If you sat in it, it didn't happen. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Okay, I I like this one because it's gonna happen, but it's just funny because 100%. numbers say yeah, hundred percent numbers say well, you got ten thousand new seats that right. are probably gonna be halfway filled every game. I, I want to say ninety nine percent because this year the weather's been nuts, so maybe like we get some crazy rain to start the year again, and then it's just cold as crap, and nobody wants to go to a game. Do you all so. remember the game, the year? I think it was like two thousand and fifteen, where the first five home games of the year were all like downpours like it yes. poured i think it was like 2014 that was the year they played in like literally a puddle yes at uh southern miss yes and yes they yes, almost yeah. they almost lost the game to like a just crap bum southern miss team yeah there's like 15 people there they have no drainage system i can't believe they played couldn't even see the the like yardage markers on the field like that that was bonkers but yes that was entire season it was like playing in the wetlands all right. Um, I think I'm the, still wet from the 04 Florida State. And I'm still wet from the Indiana State game because I've never been to the Florida State game was not as much rain as it was last year. I will refuse to believe it cuz last but it year was cold. That's true. So cold. But last year was just Indiana State was miserable. Like it was yeah. just miserable. Well, it's cuz they were playing Indiana State. No, no, no. It was the weather delays that made them miserable. I can I can watch a football game in the rain if you play it through. How but many the delays fact we did had you to, stay for? Uh, we were we dipped by like. I went. One. I went to the we car were, four times. No, what? And you came back? Yeah, yeah. I left that to the first rain cycle, man. I wasn't. I was a delay. I wasn't gonna sit there. I looked at one radar and I was like, nope. Taylor, yeah. Why Taylor was about to watch? assassinate me. Like I, after the last two, uh, the last two intermissions or whatever. I don't know what no you call it. The last two reprieves. Delays. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. I literally ran back in by myself and left my entire family and fiance in the car. And then we watched like two plays and then went back <laughs> went back to the car. All right, last one. This one is the most interesting to me, and I think this one would be a really good discussion point when you have more time. Juwan Pass will be Louisville football's offensive MVP in 2019 from Nick Connor. Recently married Nick Connor. Congratulations, dude. Shout Congrats. out to the Connors. For me, I could see it because if you – even if you do – twice as good as you did last year or, or a little bit over it like you are the most improved player on your football team and because of the way that you've played your team has likely won some more games than they probably should because mm-hmm. there's a lot of games where a quarterback just has to step up and make throws so if he's the offensive mvp at the end of the season we're talking about louisville being in a completely different team than what we expected oh yeah to put a percentage on it i'd say probably like 42 percent. like i just don't That's maybe high. maybe That's yeah high. like I, I but i see it because of purely based off of like wow he's so much better than he was last year but i think the guy is hassan hall and i don't even think it's close well i think it's crazy i think hassan hall is is going to have an amazing year but i think that's going to propel juan to have an even better year because the better the running does on the offense uh 
the better Juwan's going to have mm-hmm. uh, in terms of opportunities to really make plays. Sure. Uh, just because watching Satterfield's offense, I mean, like the RPOs and, and everything else he does, he sets these QBs up for, for playmaking uh, throws. You know, I mean, like yeah. a good amount of the time. So, Absolutely. So, yeah, I, th- I really do think he can go above and beyond just a, a typical game manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he does make the extra the extra crazy throw uh, every now and then, especially in crunch time when we might need it, uh, then I really think he has a, I mean, a decent chance uh, to be the most improved. Let's put a number on it. We got. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go like an even fifty. I don't see. I mean, I really do think it'll be between. Here's what I here's him, what I love Dez, about him, Dez, and Hassan. Uh, in in terms of. But you know, it's offensive MVP, not not most improved. I'm talking about oh, the overall okay, best player on the offense, not necessarily the, the most, most improved. That, I think I he's definitely the most improved. Well, I, okay, then I think it's gonna be between Hassan and. and and possibly him or still Des, because I mean, like Des, Des is a playmaker. You get the ball in his hands more this season, you're gonna see so many more awesome uh, playmaking highlights. Like that's the thing. He just physically didn't have the ball in his hands enough. But that's probably the most disappointing part about the right. entire season. I, you know how I know that we're a good tandem here? I just literally wrote today in an article. The simple way to fix Louisville's offense is to get Des Fitzpatrick the ball. Like I'm like the whole year last year, I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, look at like Wake Forest for instance. What, what was that guy's name? Uh, Greg the, Dorch. Greg Dorch. Yeah. I mean, Wake Forest. I mean, no. I mean, no offense to Wake Forest offense. They just I mean, put the ball in his hands. Like, just it. get the guy the football. Rondale Moore. Oh my gosh. Yes. Just literally dump pass after dump pass, and he just takes off and and makes plays. And that's what Satterfield wants. He's he said that in in multiple. Uh, in multiple interviews he's had is that he's going to put the ball in the in the in the playmaker's hands and just let them make the plays. He's like I'm not going to overcomplicate things. I'm not going to over over stress these guys. I'm going to just put the ball in their hands and let them do what they're supposed to do. And that's I love like the the cautious optimism that we have going going on with just this this group and this article in general just because the ones that you can like really put a number on it's funny, like if if any of these bold predictions come true, then all of a sudden that means that this season is is astronomically better than what we're expecting. Like if Boozy Whitlow leads the team in sacks, like automatic, like huge boost for the team. If Juwan passes the MVP, like complete season changer. Even if Boozy doesn't get the most sacks on the defensive team, as mm-hmm. long as they get more than eleven, I mean that's I the mean, whole thing. Like yes. as, I want him and Ty to just wreak havoc on the backfield. And, and we don't like even, get, getting yeah. a senior like getting a a solidified like pass rusher, um, and, and Ty Tyler. I mean like that. Not only do people obviously are excited for for his his abilities like in the games, but just think about like the everyday practices. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like he can give so many cool and unique insights to these younger guys about tactics and. and and little things that really can help them uh, and help that learning curve, so they can get so much better. Like that's the thing we keep talking about that on the basketball side that that you know these these skilled older go- older guys like Jordan uh, can really help sharpen these younger guys a lot quicker. Why can't the same be said for the for the football side when you got these sure. grad transfers that have proven records of 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 sacks and and just defensive you know accolades and stats? Yeah, I of mean, of course they're gonna make an impact every day on these guys. I think that's a really good segue too. Um, Louisville just added another grad transfer this week, super under the radar that we kind of had gotten wind of but weren't sure of with Isaiah Hayes, who's a safety out of Arizona. Um, and 
I don't know if it was more to do with you know making sure that his grades got right or that he had to he had to officially graduate before he could enroll in U, at U of L or whatever the case was. Um, but Louisville's sitting with six graduate transfers um, going in, going into this season. Um, and I, I if you take a look at at the, at the names and the the accolades of these players, I think there's three or four guys that can really come in and not only make a big difference but probably compete for a starting job. Well, and and that's the big thing here. So it it's always a little bit different uh, talking about grad transfers with basketball uh, that you know are obviously going to have a lot of playing time, yep. a lot of immediate minutes. Um, mm-hmm. But when it comes to football, it's a little bit more unique because not only are you are you recruiting grad transfers uh, for like immediate depth position needs, but yeah, sometimes uh, like looking at all these. QBs uh, that are transferring, like Tate Martell and stuff. Like some of these guys might not actually be the starting QB even mm-hmm. when they transfer to that school. So it's, it's not always guaranteed right. in terms of playing time. Um, so I, I think different. it does say something when you have this many grad transfers and this many grad transfers uh, that have the opportunity and, to to start and make an impact. But right. either way, I'm excited because it really is just helping bolster the depth on this team and really helping even out. Um, even out the roster uh, a little bit quicker because obviously the one big theme, another big theme in the off season has been, has been the roster mismanagement. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, that's one of the main goals is how do we even this out to make it what we want uh, roster wise uh, for each position? How do we do that in, in the most efficient amount of time? Right. And uh, I think grad transfers are, it's the perfect, it's the perfect way to kind of transition guys right. through it gives these guys who had kind of a a little bit of a significant impact on their their previous university, but they just wanted something a new opportunity, a new chance to kind of just go out there and and stand out in a, in a different way. Um, and you know, on a football team, it's so easy to get lost in the shuffle, like like you were saying. So if we have this list of grad transfers in front of us on the team, if you just had to go like, don't even put more than ten seconds of thought into it. Because I know you you've molded over a little bit probably. If you had to rank the most significant, let's just go top three, top three most significant track grad transfers this year. Um, all right. Who well, we got? My previous point to you was going to be I I really really like uh the grad transfers that come from the smaller schools. Yeah. To to transfer up because those are the guys that have the chips on their shoulders. Right. It's, it's right. not like you're transferring from like a UFC or a USC or like an Ohio State mm-hmm. and all these giant programs because you couldn't get playing time and then yeah. you have to come to Louisville to get that playing time. Yeah. No, no, no. You're an all star, and and you're awesome on the team you're already on, like a Marshall, this, and you're and yeah. you're making an impact. You just want to prove that you can do the same in the ACC or a bigger, man. bigger Power Five. So with saying that. I think my three are definitely uh, Ty Tyler, uh, TJ Hall, and I'm going to say probably TJ McCoy, uh, just because not only have we seen his film, we really like him. I think he's going to fit what Ledford wants to a T. Sure. But also, that's the biggest depth need uh, on this team as well. So if you can plug and and check off multiple boxes with just one grad transfer, I Mm -hmm. think that's huge. Yeah, and I think that's exactly why they're here. And they got pretty much one at every position of need. Like positions of need were linebacker. Right. It is really spread out, which is good line. to see. Yeah. And then we got a random wide receiver. I'm not really sure. Um, and Thomas Jackson, but um, 
Either way, get... in my mind, it just creates more competition because right. you're not talking exactly. about another freshman that's confused and and, mm-hmm. and, and kind of you know maybe nervous and timid in practice and things like that. Like this, these are grad transfers. These guys have been around the block. They right. know how coaches operate. They know how yeah. practices should run. They know the the way things work in college football. And so even if Thomas Jackson doesn't get a whole lot of minutes, I think he's going to push the other wide receivers that do. Right. Right. I, I think he's going to make sure I mean, like he's going to get in. Like you play. Like, he like they really really went after some of these grad transfers, um, with the expectation of you're either gonna start and actually have minutes, or you're you're gonna be right in there competing with these mm-hmm. other guys because they know a guy like that can really lift and elevate the other guys in that position on the team. Absolutely, and I mean, so I mean, perfect example would be at linebacker. Um, all of a sudden kind of has like. They're kind of – I'm not going to say they're loaded at linebacker on a defense that allowed, what, over 60 points like their right. last, last six <laughs> games. Check but they – one of their more talented areas of the team all of a sudden out of nowhere is linebacker. And right. I think that T.J. Hole is going to come in and push some of these guys that kind of thought that they might have had um, a starting spot or a lot of a, – a, a significant amount of playing time locked in. Yeah, absolutely, and, and, and the, he's probably he's probably gonna come in and start. Like, when you I mean, listen to an, legit. listen to one interview from that guy, by the way, about any of that, like even after he he announced his transfer and stuff like that, like the guy doesn't care who you are. He, like he's mm. not intimidated. No, like that's the thing. Everyone's like, oh my god, he came from Colgate. Okay, he no. doesn't care. No, like he's like, I'm still gonna hit you really, really hard. Right, and and, that's... and I'm a really, I'll have to pull it up uh, for you to see it, but. But I, I just remember in one of his interviews, like, he clearly said, he's like, here's what I'm really good at. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know how to tackle. I know how to be a leader. I can think fast. I can I can run the plays my coaches want. Like, he's that dude that's consistent. And he mm-hmm. knows he is. And he knows he can hit. And he doesn't mind it. So, like, he's he's not coming to Louisville intimidated that, oh, my God, all right, so I'm going to have to compete with with 15 other Power 5 linebackers for starting time. No. He doesn't care. No. He's he's going to go to practice. He's going to work his ass off every single day, and he's going to say, okay, well, let's see what happens. And that that's basically like – That's the person Brian Brown wants. If, if, right I'm, in, if I'm envisioning how Louisville's practices are going to go in the late summer and early fall, I mean, I think that it's going to be kind of like – like Hole's going to be like a magnet for just hard work and toughness and grittiness. Right. And that's just stuff that you didn't see out of Louisville's defense last year. And so I, I think that having a guy, two the two guys that we're talking about is the, probably the most significant, being Ty Tyler and TJ Holt. I think that those, they they brought in the perfect guys to do so. Like you said, the two guys that are coming up from from a program that's from a non-power five school um, are the two guys that are going to have their biggest the biggest chips on their shoulders right. at the biggest positions of need. Well, and the only way team. you get starting positions when you when you transfer from schools like that and schools like Colgate. You know the only real option for yourself is just to outwork everybody else. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And when you start to outwork everybody, then they take notice and they want to pick up the slack as well. So I mean, I really think, you know, he's going to have more of a a universal impact on that on that linebacker core uh, than just him in his playing time alone. What do you think about What do you think about Ian Pfeiffer? Um, he's a tight end out of Vanderbilt. He has never previously played tight end. You right. know, do you do you know anything about Ian Pfeiffer? Just be totally brutally honest. I mean, when it came out, I think I looked it up the day of. The, the only reason I bring this up is because Jacob would just absolutely just 
slaughter us and just knock down Ian Pfeiffer talk, just because it's so t- <laughs> it's so tough to to talk um, a posi- a player who's playing a position um, where he just basically has no stats or highlights. Like Ian Pfeiffer highlights at tight end is like a just some kind of like gadget play where he like checked in as a, as an eligible receiver for a play and like uh, basically had like a nine yard reception or something like nothing. That then that's that's his that's the extent of him playing tight end at the college level. Um, however, I I do know that he played a little bit in high school, I believe, um, and he's a guy that I, I don't you know he's a guy that that's going to be talked about least coming in out of this super six of grad transfers if you want to call it that just like the basketball team. Right. This is a guy that's going to be flying under the radar that could potentially come in and be a really good tool for them. Because the tight end position is so thin. Right. That that's my whole thing. Um, whoever wants to be critical about you know he doesn't have film as a tight end. Okay, show me the film of our current tight ends. It's, right. Right. Like we really don't have a whole lot of options uh, when it comes to like you need them. That that's what it really comes down to. We need bodies at mm-hmm. that position. Mm-hmm. Like you really can't. Uh, you can't pick and choose uh, when you're in that critical of a need. Like Dwayne Leverd couldn't pick and choose like he probably usually wanted to on the offensive line when he's like, holy crap, we have five scholarship linemen. Okay. Right. Like how am I going to basically fix this uh, in the quickest way possible? And whatever you want to say, one, at least he's, he's a big body that's going to get slimmer. Mm-hmm. He's not trying to – He's not trying. He's, to he's not a slim yeah. dude trying to add the weight to bulk up to be a tight end. Like he's he's not like a one of those like gadget receivers who's going to play inside. And right. Block. My yeah. whole thing is okay. So you're he's used to being a bruiser, right? I mean the the dude's still currently listed on two four seven right now as six four three hundred pounds. Um, so <laughs> I, I'm he's, just I think I think on the on the roster he's listed at six five two sixty five. If that so helps. all my all I'm saying is. Let him catch easy passes and run some dudes over. And like that's, that's all you really. That's what you want of a tried and true tight end. Like yes, Louisville has had some amazing tight ends, right? right. And that's not what they're looking for. In this, you can't in this pick offense. and choose this year. No. I'm sorry. Like you're not gonna have a you know like a Gary Barnage and guys like that that are just phenomenal at their positions. There's like, no we, Cole we Hikatini's just, on this team. <laughs> we need a tight. We just need a tight end. Right. Like right. we need a guy. And here's the thing: a lot of the tight end uh, play in in their offenses. Are, are blocking you know that's huge so okay you're already on the offensive line like you know what to do so as weird as it sounds i think i'm not concerned at all about ian because he's a tight end that has to block like an o-lineman that's exactly what he's doing now like that they yeah. filled they filled an exact position they they needed so the the reason that i bring him up besides not bothering jacob with our with our tight end banter um, but more so that it sh- it, g- it shows me what the coaching staff is looking for in a player, and this is a guy that's going to come in. He's probably not. I mean, who knows? Like, who knows how much playing time he's truly going to get? Um, but he's he's a guy that can come in and basically be like a sixth offensive lineman. Like, right. It, that... I mean, he literally played offensive lineman in the SEC or offensive line in the SEC. Um, this dude has a ton of experience as a blocker. So that's that's a huge deal when we talk about transitioning the offense from pretty much 50-50 pass and run 
to more like 65-35 run pass. Um, so I, I think that it's interesting that you get this kind of hard-nosed guy who is willing to come in and be kind of like a like a gadget um, tied in and not, not be like a super athletic pass catcher, like breaking tackles or anything like that, but just like a simple, um, you know, blocking tight end, like just an old school, hard nose blocking tight end. I, I like Presley as, as a former lineman, like that's every lineman's dream is to like actually catch like passes in a game and just like see how far they can get. It like that's cracks, all it cracks I, me up that you were an offensive lineman in high school. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm only what five seven, five eight on a good day, or on my driver's license to make myself feel better. But it's <laughs> like when when you looked in high school, it was literally like six two, six two, and then just me in the middle as like a center, and it was it was so depressing. My mom still has a photo like in the house somewhere, and I I tried to burn it, but um, <laughs> like you just see like the 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 tops of the helmets, and mine's just like easily. You know, a good eight inches below everybody. It's like band of brothers, and then there's like Alex. He's the little brother. Right. Like at least wrestling (laughs) made me, you know, feel like I was just as tall as everybody else because everyone's hunched over and whatnot. But back to the main point, I really like this fit because, like, yeah, they he's gonna do what they need him to do to fit Satterfield's scheme, and that's gonna be big, especially in if in my mind, you want a tight end that's gonna catch a pass for the five yards you need and he can have the weight to fall forward for that extra one or two yards, not get blown backwards for, like, three or four. You know, like, the dude has some weight to him, and he's going to know how to use it. Like, that's what an offensive lineman does is leverage his weight. So I really think he's he's probably, I hope, you know, my mind is that he's kind of surprised some people. Like, he might be a little more athletic than everybody gives him credit for. Right. And I think that there's going to be, to be to- completely um, honest with you, I think that out of this group of the Super 6 uh, the Super Six grad, graduate transfers. I think that there's going to be. Why are you calling the Super Six grad transfers? I don't know. Just because it, we're going yeah, with the can't. Super Six theme this year, so we're just yeah. No, the... it's already taken. That's what okay. that means. Okay, so like it's we... already taken for basketball. They had that coined way before you try to throw you in call it this for like football. The, we call this like the succulent six. Nope. Let's just call them grad <laughs> transfers. We got six <laughs> grad transfers on football. That okay. is what we got. All right, got it. Out of the group of six grad transfers, I think that there's going to be. You know, we're talk we're talking about the two, the guy the guys from Colgate and the guy from Marshall, right? I, I mm-hmm. think that one of those two guys is really going to be a standout player, and that remains to be seen. I think that one of the guys that we're not really talking about, be it um, McCoy, Pfeiffer, um, the new safety um, Hayes, or Thomas Jackson, I think one of those guys is going to have a breakout season. So that 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 kind of intrigues me a little bit that. Um, I, and that's typically how it works, right? When you bring in like a big time recruiting yeah. class or any, anything of that nature, I think that there's always there's always one person that not underperforms, but just like the expectation was set a little too high, and I think the bars can be set a little too low for one of these guys. Yeah, and I think the other thing that tends to happen too is that you know you get you start researching the current roster, right? About the 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 guys you really think are going to be the most impactful guys on the team going forward, especially in, in next season. Uh, talking about Boozy Willow and whatnot. Well, then you randomly hear the news. Oh, my God. All right, there's a grad fan, grad transfer at the same position. Well, then you instantly have to start compare. Okay, so is this guy as good as him? Like, right. Then you have to figure out. Yeah, so it, it throws a whole nother curveball into the mix, um, you know, for the, for the sports nerd fan. But also, 
like I said before, like it keeps the players on their toes in my mind. Yeah. Like you don't. And that's a good thing. You're re- Like you're a junior. This is your year. This is your playing time. You're gonna get all all the minutes. Like this is supposed to be your time. And then all of a sudden you hear the news one morning. You wake up and okay. Oh, there's a. Oh, all right. I'm gonna meet a guy named TJ today, who's also a <laughs> linebacker. This that right. that's cool. So instantly you're like, uh, you wake up and you have competition uh, that you didn't have the day before. So like these guys are going to be forced to to elevate the game. These guys are going to be forced to really um, take what the coaches give them uh, in terms of feedback, coaching, practice, weight room, you name it. Like they're they're all competing for time, and like they said, everything's a competition to them. Right. So let's transition a little bit into, into basketball. Um, the one thing that I really want to talk about um, this time around is it is we're kind of like at a slow period for just college basketball talk in general. Um, but something that came out this week that really intrigued me was the Sports Illustrated article that came out, um, just discussing, um, who would be the next coach that's currently like, like an up and coming coach that's going to win, um, the next national championship. And I think it turned a lot of heads. A lot of people were surprised that a lot of the experts from Sports Illustrated chose Chris Mack. I think uh, out of six or seven guys, um, three of them chose Mac, um, and it surprised me a bit because four, four of them chose Mac. So was it four? One out of guy seven? said he usually would say Chris Beard, but then he's like, realistically, I think Mac has the best chance. Right. Well, I think that Chris Beard is to me. No, that's I, a good choice. If, but if you if you ask me to be totally honest, like completely straightforward with you, I think that the most realistic um, would be Chris Beard. But that that could be just a complete shot in the dark that could be recency bias saying that, you know, Chris Beard was the closest last year. You know, we had a national championship with two coaches who never won one and Tony Bennett and Chris Beard. Um, with with Beard being the closest from last year, obviously I think recency bias would say, oh, well, he's the next guy to get it done. Um, right. However, the, the guys from Sports Illustrated, guys and gals, excuse me, from Sports Illustrated, uh, love them some some Chris Mack, um, and I wanted 100. All right, let's see here. We got Dan Green. Yeah, so like Bennett and a number of 21st century first timers: Jay Wright, John Calipari, Roy Williams, Bill Self. Few have been steadily taking good to great teams into the tournament, and unlike pre-title Bennett and Wright, finding some success there. So it seems like just a matter of time before he breaks through. He's made Gonzaga into not only a national brand, but a place where transfers and international talent have found consistent success, which should keep the talent flowing to Spokane for a while. When you're looking for the kind of strong foundation that often precedes a title, it's hard to beat Fuse. So, all right. No, I I think Mark Few makes it. Honestly, I just assumed Mark Few already won a championship. Like, I didn't – I hear <laughs> Gonzaga and him enough. Like, and right, I'm always right. like a, a, a number one seed. Like, somehow in my mind, I always think, Kind of like almost, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's just one of those guys you just associate with him with. with right. I mean, he's an elite he's a level yeah. Hall of Fame coach. Like, right. dude, it went to. I mean, what was Gonzaga before Mark Few? I don't know, cause I'm like 27. And right. That, I mean, that's really no, all. Literally literally nobody, I, that's all I've associated with him. Right. Nobody can him, tell you yeah. about Gonzaga before Mark Few. I mean, he is Gonzaga sports. Period. I mean, right. there's literally. So. And I'm sorry if like Gonzaga croquet is like really killing it this year, but. Mark Few is Gonzaga, Gonzaga sports in general. Um, and to me, I mean, I don't think that's a super outlandish answer. But No, it's, what, got, it's literally like how Gino has 
like carried UConn. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you when you think of UConn recently in the in the last, you know, besides like the Kevin Alley Championship, they came out of nowhere. Um, in in terms of consistent success, yeah, like when I think of UConn, I just think of women's basketball now. Like this, right, right. He's been dominant. Right. I don't know. Um, so yeah, Dan Green uh, has Mark Few at Gonzaga. And let's go. So I I wanted to get because I I have it up in front of me now because my weird internet's finally hey, not bugging out on me. But the one that really fascinated me was was from Max Meyer right. of SI. Looking at him. Um, and he says, while I think Chris Beard right. is the best coach not to have a title under his belt, I don't think he's up next. Next, in fact, I think there will be another first time winner this season. That's out of everything that stands out in the article to me. That's what. Like, this dude is, like, before the season even starts, pretty much saying, I think that Louisville's going to win a national championship this year. Like, that's got to get you kind of pumped. It like, does. And once again, I hate it. Um, secret. Like, I love it at first, right? Like, right. when all the accolades started coming in after Warren announced that he was coming back. I mean, mm-hmm. come on. Like, we bathed in, in those articles for weeks right. about, right. like, top five nationally, preseason, mm-hmm. act, like, just everything. Loved it. But we all know, like, all right, there's literally a game, uh, you know, not a game has been played yet. No, not even so, close, yeah. So we got to, you know, dial it back a little bit, mitigate some expectations, um, just a tiny bit. But just a little bit. I do think it's amazing because, yes, uh, you know, Chris Beard, super consistent, uh, really successful coach. I think it really does say something um, when when you're talking about coaches – Mac has assembled a championship team in less than three years. Coming coming oh, yeah. to a school that's still involved uh, on the still, you know, like we we're still yeah. not fully out of the woods yet. We're still waiting for like that last uh, hammer to drop, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like I don't think it obviously will be as significant as the other, mm-hmm. but just the fact that you walked into a mess and in year two people are writing articles about you being a possible championship contender. I mean, it's literally flat out saying, I don't think that Chris Beard's up next. I think another first-time winner is going to happen this year. It's going to be Chris Mack. Like, that's... that's. And do keep in mind, too, Louisville was bounced in the first round this year. Louisville finished the season, what, they won... They lost seven out of their last 11 games or something. Right, like, it was tough. Like, it was uh, a... Yeah, I mean, like, come on. It, so it, it, it is, pretty... to me, at the very least, it's reaffirming kind of what we see um, building here locally. Um, and it's nice to be reaffirmed nationally um, that a guy who covers the sport nationally is saying kind of what we've been thinking all along, even amidst a pretty tumultuous end to the season. Right. Um, so that's what... To me, that's that's what kind of would get me the most excited. What do you? I mean, what do you make of this article? Is, does it surprise you that um, of all the national writers that they chose, that four out of seven would pick Chris Mack, or four out of eight, four to seven? Well, and so here's the the research I should have done before we got on the air, but um, it's not even the air, really, is it? On the air, just, I, I mean, like on the cre- waves, we create our own air. Yeah, um, but. The article's entitled, Which Hoops Coach Will Win His First National Championship Next? Right. So I didn't I didn't really research, like, what pool is he in with right now? You know, right, like, right. obviously, we, I, I wouldn't have I, I I known Mark Few would have been in there. 
in, oh, really? in terms of, I mean, I I don't associate him with winning a national title, but I mean, two years ago he was in a national championship game, so it's right. Like, that's that's the thing. Um, you know, I I don't really keep track of of which coaches uh haven't won their first national title. Yet. Right, so right. No, like that, that's sense. my whole thing. Sense. I I am excited about it because obviously I I do think there's when you're talking about a co- a coach like Mark Few, like when you're in that kind of group already. Right, um, right. At a, at a school, you're you're literally the second year head coach at. Mm-hmm. I think it's awesome. So Mac already said he's he's one of these expectations. Uh, like that's why he came here. Right. Is to is to compete for a national championship year in year out. So to him, he's like, yeah, all right. I kind of expected mm-hmm. you know to be in this position. Um, right. I don't know why you guys seem so surprised about it, but, but yeah, I think it's. Just a little taken back because when you when you're talking about national media, and and, and I try to think of things sometimes, uh, be it really, but from like a national perspective, mm-hmm. you know, like you're not in the Louisville bubble, you're not living in Louisville, you're not around right. local radio all the time. Mm-hmm. What would I really remember from a national perspective? And it's on the basketball side, basically been nothing but scandals. Right. So when you're starting to see national articles come out, and all these national articles have, you know, a preseason top five, preseason top ten, uh, like Gary Parish, all these guys are are writing, you know, like they they we're getting sprinkled in in these tweets about, you know, potential odds for for next year's championship, things mm-hmm. like that, and people are like, well, hold on, where the hell did Louisville come from? Like, why are you why are you mentioning right. them in your article? Like they were almost offended because they're like the last thing I remember, like they were basically in the grave from the NCAA, and all of a sudden, you know, like the Undertaker, we're just like right springing out of the coffin, like whatever <laughs> that meme was. Like I love that, but but yeah, well, like we're just instantly resurrected, and no one thought we'd bounce back this quick. The thing to me that stands out the most is that this is the first time, maybe in my lifetime, but definitely since the beginning of the Rick Pitino era, where I think the, the expectations nationally kind of match what they do locally. Um, and I think that there's almost, I'm not going to say a pes- pessimism, because I don't think that's necessarily true, but a cautious optimism in Louisville, just because it took so long to get from 86 to 2013, and then to have that kind of, obviously it's never going to be taken away. Like NCAA, I want my $1,000 back from the national championship game, if that's the case, if you're really taking it away. Another story, you know, all of that aside, it, if you know if that truly is the the situation, we don't want to be accepting of it yet because it took so long to get back to back to the national championship in 2013. We saw how close you can be in 2014, in 2015, in 2012. Like just right there, like you can taste it. It almost feels like it's not even to me. And maybe this is just like my underdog mentality of being a Louisville fan in general that. Like they haven't even like worked for it. Like it just seems, it just feels like it's like happened. Like they just kind of appeared back on the scene. I, I don't know if that's branding. I don't know if that's um, no. You know. Part of it is because we have an awesome, uh, an awesome. What do you call it? Like graphics team now. Yeah. Well, like both both coaches on football and in basketball have invested heavily. So like into, the into the, their out, so- the outreach on the social media. Like the the word is out. Like it's not like the Batino era where everything's very cryptic. Like. You know, say Bettina was bringing in this this class of freshmen and, and plus Lamar Kimball, like everything would be so under wraps. Like your ass, we, your ass we wouldn't, wouldn't be know. on Twitter, that's for sure. No, that's what I'm saying. Like we, you know, 
nobody be waving to Rick to Rick Bettino on his boat on Lake Cumberland on Fourth of July weekend. Like, you know, he would be like, it's just such such a different feel. So, I, and I think that's part of it. I think it's kind of like the John Calipari, not to compare Mac to Calipari necessarily directly, but it's just part of just being more trendy, more modern, right. just having your name out there. Right. And I think that could be part of what has kind of made Louisville's name surface in a national conversation so quickly. Well, and and it's just weird seeing the similarities. Well, it's not weird. It's awesome seeing the similarities between um, the routes that, that the new football program's taken and the, the routes that the new basketball program's taken. Like, they're, they're really, really taking a great hands-on approach to fan transparency mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to the program and also fan engagement. I mean, that's the thing. Like, when you're having all these mini intro videos – on on the football side about every positions coach has like a two minute you know just like a good interview about like how you know how kind of a here's why i do what i do here's why i'm this kind of coach here's Mm -hmm. what i'm bringing to louisville here's what i teach my guys like those little two minute videos just little nuggets like that of knowledge helps fans connect to this team so much easier like right. it's so much easier to get behind a team that you actually know the coaches. And you they, know the coaches' wives. They're they're literally texting about uh, inviting more players over to their house, baking cookies, making them pork chops. Like it's it's right. crazy the camaraderie um, that they're even showing on 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 social media. And the, and the same goes for the basketball side. Like like Chris Mack tweets at his wife. You know, like they they give each other crap sometimes through mm-hmm. social media because oh, yeah. he's traveling. Um, all over the place. I mean, it's it's amazing to see just the family camaraderie these guys have created for each each program. Well, and, and, and they're bringing the kids into it too. So, do you think that there is actually validity to the fact that maybe Emily Karen, Max Meyer, Michael Shapiro, and Mitchell Gladstone um, take what Chris Mack is saying um, more seriously, or giving more um, weight to what what they have to say? because of kind of like the respect that that's paid to them like the is that just completely reaching or is it you see you see what i'm saying you see what i'm saying here like the the information is more readily available it's so much no, easier absolutely. to write about what jordan war brings to the table next year what lamar kimball brings to the table next year what um what the incoming freshman class brings to the table because chris mack is so transparent about what's going on with the program whereas you know i mean th- this is the first time probably in Louisville history besides maybe very few small um, outlying instances where the incoming freshman classes was propelling them into the national top five national championship final four conversation. Um, So if if this was Rick Bettino and he had the same players coming in, he would just have everything completely under wraps. Yeah. That's the thing in the last two major coaches of, of each program um, or the last coach of each major major program for basketball and football, they operated under a veil of secrecy, you know, like that's, yeah. that's how they do things. And, and I get it because like, it's not like, um, you know, super heavy engagement of, of Twitter and social media in general uh, for athletic programs. It's not like that's been a thing mm. for a long time, sure. you know? So like they were just on the edge of that when it was first coming about. Um, so I think that's probably another reason why, you know, they might not have been so quick to adapt to it. Um, but that, I mean, that's just their old school way of doing things. I think right. 
the new guys, I think Mac and Satterfield understand, like in order to get to pull the certain kids you need, like to pull those, you know, five, four stars uh, from some of those programs, the ones mm-hmm. we can steal, you know, like those kind of things. Yet, like you just said, we need to have our name in the media all the time. We need mm-hmm. to be a household name. We need to for kids to know who Satterfield is, to know who Mac is, uh, to know what kind of programs these guys are running. Like, you know, we we don't we're not operating from a position of power anymore. We have to show everybody what's going on because when you when you don't show that the media and everybody starts creating their own narratives of mm-hmm. your program because you're not right. talking. You're not letting your coaches talk. You're not letting the kids talk. So, okay, exactly right. we don't have content. We're just going to make some up since you don't give us any. Right. And, and with them all being on social media all the time, they're creating their own narrative. You know, so the yeah. media is just really just playing. Well, here's what he said in in the news. Like it's awesome. Like here's what Satterfield. Like it's, yeah, I like mean, they're just following what they're doing. Like they're not creating their own stories because they don't have to. Like they're just reporting now. Like mm-hmm. like they should have been the whole time because there should have never been that level of of just like just weird cryptic secrecy around a college program like that. Right, right. And so I mean, to me, that's you know. That's why I weigh things kind of more with a grain of salt, just because, I mean, we, the only we we actually kind of know what what's going on in the program now, which is a good thing and a bad thing because it's the same with with kind of with the football program is that, you know, when you're down, you know, as a fan, as somebody who's like following so closely or so heavily involved, um, you're going to be more emotionally invested and you're going to be you're going to feel like the downs are so much lower than they actually are and the ups are so much higher than they actually are. Right. I, so I think that's one thing Louisville fans or at least the crazy ones that like talk crap about the players or talk mm-hmm. crap even to the players on Twitter. Yeah. We're not used to having people clapping back. Um, right. Because like Patino never had anybody on, on, on Twitter. So the fact that like these kids are getting to tweet um, throughout the season. Yeah. Like I think there was a couple times like Malik Williams, like, like he might have had a bad game, or or we lost a game right. we shouldn't have lost, or something. And there's always, you know, like bonehead fans on on Twitter that mm-hmm. that tweet stuff they shouldn't. All you have to do is look your name up. So these kids were Dang. literally just like looking up their names and then just like clapping back at whatever fan was like, Which is "Oh, okay, great. thanks for the support." Blah blah. And these guys like as long I, as long as it's like clean, like as long as it's, I mean, which again, it, we shouldn't hold the players to a higher expectation than anybody else. But as long as it's you know representing the program in the right way like i love that like when you're when you're just able when you can just like somebody's like oh malik like if you're just using malik williams as an example like oh malik williams you know has been weak on the boards tonight and, he, and he's like nine rebounds homie or something like you know yeah something. Like that, that's the thing like people especially like the louisville fans just you know the crazy ones that always talk crap about the kids they weren't ready for them to to get responded by by no, the actual kids, I'm no, like, oh, I love that. It's 2019. Hey, uh, we're old enough to to look our names up and defend yeah. ourselves. And, and and I love Mac and Walls doing the same thing too. Uh, Walls is is famous for it, especially if there's like a national commentator or something kind of, uh, you know, going after one of his players or saying something that might be a little bit out of, out of, uh, you know, what, what's the what's the phrase out of turn? Yeah, I think possibly. So. Um, I love when when Walls or Mac just like clap back like that. The just going off on this Twitter rabbit hole tangent. The best day ever. Um, not for him because it was probably painful. When Mac was coming off knee surgery and was on pain pills, just tweeting up a storm. I thought was Twitter great. was going to burn down from that man. <laughs> 
He was throwing just straight fire at people via Twitter the whole day. He was on the couch just resting his knee. And I still, like, to this day remember that from from reading it and thinking it was a parody account. And then she'd be like, oh, never mind. Oh, that's he just had knee surgery. Coach. Yep, that, that's my coach. That's right. Got it. Um, so I guess let's let's leave it on this with the basketball talk because we have plenty of time until basketball season. Um, what do you can Louisville win a national championship this year? Like in, in your opinion, because I have my take on this it might be a little bit I would say is definitely different than the majority of people. Um, but I mean, it, when you when you look at the national landscape. Do you think that this is the year, or do you feel that maybe it's the year before the year, or do you think that it's it's prime, it's there for the taking? All right, here's what I think. So I forgot who always says this, but like every year, the stats have already come out. It's it's almost like football, how like the analytics, the, the only the, advanced analytics. the only there's only like realistically like a, a certain number of teams that have a real chance of winning national championship, and it's always because of the previous like recruiting classes and, and things like that. On the basketball side, um, you know, I, I think people say the same thing. There's only like, what, like eight to ten teams that can realistically, um, you know, win a national championship on paper, right? And and I think the basketball is a little bit weird because it's not like the depth uh, in terms of like years and years and years of, uh, you know, five-star recruits or whatever. It's, it's mainly you have to have a good balance, right? You can't have – you can't be like a Duke and have like all these just crazy all-star freshmen and then just have it, you know, like you're loading up on young talent, don't have any seniors. Right. Vice versa, you know, you, you just can't have all mediocre older guys either. So you have to have a, a good, healthy combination of really, really good older talent and really, really good younger talent coming in. Mm-hmm. And Louisville's in that crazy window um, to – that basically, like, they're one of those teams that check all those boxes in that weird equation that shows that that you're statistically capable of being one of those 8 to 10 teams uh, that can win. So can they? Absolutely. Will they? I mean, I have no idea. But but they – it's not like they're a fringe top 20 team, right? It's not like they're a fringe top 25 team to where we're, like, trying to stretch the truth and, and really say, like, you know, if eh. things if things fall their way – they might be able to make it to a to an elite eight and see right. what happens from there. No, right. no, 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 no. This is totally different. And there's there's that team every year. Like right. this year was Auburn in, yeah. the, in the final four. There's almost that one every year single South Carolina, year. like just yeah, randomly. South Carolina Frank Martin made it. Yeah. I mean, in 2013 there was Wichita State. Um, last year, Loyola, was it Loyola and South Carolina were both in last year, or is that were they in back to back years? Uh, I don't know. My Not head sure. hurts. Regardless. Anyways, there are two very telling signs statistically of who is going to win the national championship. And again, there's no way of truly predicting this just because of um, how um, how much things change from year to year in college basketball. However, it happened again this year, um, and I wrote the article about a month prior to March Madness saying these six teams – one of these six teams won the national championship, and it was there was only six teams at the at the time. There ended up being I think eight or ten, 
Louisville was one of them at the time that I wrote it, but they weren't towards the end of the season because they fell off a little bit. Right. But you basically have to rank in the top 20 in Ken Palm's adjusted offensive, offensive efficiency, right. and you have to rank in the top 20 in Ken Palm's adjusted defensive efficiency. Additionally, um, there's never been a team the – only, the only exception to the rule – was in 2014, UConn had a 36 adjusted offensive efficiency, 10 adjusted defensive efficiency. The only exception to the rule since Ken Palm's inception in 2003. Yeah, that was crap. So, Louisville waxed them like three yeah. weeks before oh. they won a national championship. They, they that beat, was so – like I, I've never – I mean, I loved it because obviously they upset UK or whatever. Right. But – in terms of watching a team, you like smoke by thirty, mm-hmm. just like hoist up a trophy That's out of nowhere. I'm like, what mm-hmm. the hell? Like, right. where did they come from? Right. Um, Shabazz. Right, and that the the reason that was an outlier is because Shabazz Napier and Ryan Boatwright Boatwright literally just went god mode on everybody. Yeah, it was incredible. And just scored. They both scored over twenty points a game, every single tournament game. So it, it was nuts. Regardless, um, I think that if you look at this Louisville team. Um, I think that most people believe that they will be in the top 10 in offensive efficiency, which, by the way, um, every team except for two has been in the top 10 in offense and defense. So not only do you have to rank in the top 20, it really helps to be ranked in the top 10 as well. Right. I mean, we're um, bringing back almost all of our points. So, I mean, that, that kind of right, helps right. when you're bringing back, like, the you know the key pieces of your offense. Yes, yes. Um, defensively... That's where I that's where I question everything, because I think Uh-oh. that I think that when you look at Louisville's most successful teams in the past, or any of the most successful teams in the past, like this year, Virginia was I believe one in three, number one defense, number three offense, in the entire country, and Ken Palm's offensive offensive and defensive efficiency. Um, so it, it is try it's tried and true. Um, there's other things that you can that you take in consideration, like coaching experience which I think is, is honestly a knock against Louisville because Chris Mack has not been to a Final Four before. Um, so it's not super unheard of, but it's... No, but I also think something should be said that, you know, he was implementing a, a whole new, you know, defensive scheme last year. Like yeah, yeah, correct. Like, that's the and thing. The, like defense... you, the ones that are coming, like, the kids that are coming back, the leadership that's coming back... They had to learn a whole new system last mm-hmm. year. And what intrigues me about the defense is that um, at the time of writing this last year, which I can actually look at the exact date. No, I can't. It was four months ago. So oh, it, was, yeah. it was in the weeks leading up to March Madness. Um, Louisville was actually um, a better offensive team than they were a defensive team. And I believe at, the, at their peak last year, they were 11th on offense, their peak offense efficiency. Um, but at that time, they were 43rd on defense. By the time that the season ended, they were in the top 20 on defense, but they were in the mid to, to high 20s on offense, meaning that by the end of the year, um, I mean, they were consistent on both ends of the floor, but the defense actually passed up the offense statistically by the end of the season. So that's what, that is the one thing that would encourage me going into this year. And I, I do look at, the, at this team as a team that can, can rank in the top 10 in both of those statistics. Um, I mean, I, I, nothing gives me any reason to to doubt that, um, with the exception of there's just a lot of uncertainty surrounding having seven new players. Um, but what makes this Louisville team so interesting to me 
and I'm sure we'll kind of discuss this at ad nauseum as well as the season nears closer, is just the kind of once in every 10 or 15 years of just having that perfect storm of having really solid experience depth meet with really talented uh, young athleticism. Um, and that's a really interesting dynamic to me. You know, like when you look at these Kentucky teams that year after year people are hyping up, or even these Duke teams, like this this year's Duke team that kind of uh, flaked out in the tournament, yep. um, you have a lot of these teams who come into the year super hyped up and they have a sol- really solid season, get a top two, three, four seed, and just completely flake out, flame out in the tournament. Reason being is that they just don't have the experience or leadership. Now... Louisville brings back. They have the the talent. Like they have they have, you know, three or four freshmen who can who could easily get twenty to thirty minutes of run and still have and Louisville still have a really solid team. Um, but at the same time, they have three, four, five, six guys who have a lot of experience. And now you bring in, you know, you have two or three guys back who have experience um, in multiple NCAA tournament games, you know, you had Ryan McMahon, Dwayne Sutton, um, Stephen Enoch is, is a fifth year senior. Um, and now you have Malik Williams has been to the tournament. Um, you have Jordan war has been to the tournament. So they've been through this, they've been through the process and what helps, uh, kind of with the transition between, um, you know, freshmen entering college and catching up to everything is having that experience. Uh, experience depth right um, on, on your team and it, it'll help to have um, additionally have a group of guys who are able to kind of um, bring a lot of different intangibles to the table as well yeah absolutely and I mean I, I think that's all it is is that it's rare to find the perfect mix of guys this quickly Right. Like right. that's that's my whole thing, and I think that combination mixed with this is year two of Mac. I think you know he kind of had to mitigate his style a little bit last year because you know I think at one point he even said like in more ways than one like all right I can't really be as hard as them on as hard on them as I really want to be because mm-hmm. he's like this is kind of a sensitive group. Uh, he's right. like they've been through a lot. He's like well, I can't. They, I, you can't blame him. He's like I can't really dig into him like I really want to. Right. So this is like a a new year. I think I, you know, you've heard some conversations say, is Mac really going to change up his coaching style? Are we really going to see something different? I think we're going to see something a little bit different um, in, in terms of maybe, you know, he's not going to have as much of a leash maybe on, on some things um, mm-hmm. because he just knew, you know, like let's do the best we can in right. year one, just because this is what I got right now. And I mean, in 2018 and 19, you have a lot of guys who, um, like you said, you know, you don't, you don't, I, I think a shorter leash would be kind of a weird term to use necessarily, but you just didn't have options. Like Jordan war was hands down the best player, but when like he Jordan expects war, things to be picked up quicker. Right. Right. You know, when, like when, he, there's expectations because mm-hmm. these guys have been, has, have been through his practices, have right. been through what he wants them to do. Like well, they know how things operate now. And well, the thing is too, when you make a mistake now, like there is the opportunity to be replaced. Well, I think that's okay. And so that's, that's what I, that's what I kind of mean by like, right. You know, like a shorter yes. leash, like, mm-hmm. like dude, 
you know, like last year he would, you know, maybe let you play on, do whatever. But like, if he's been drilling you for over a year now on the same exact thing, and like Perry still does that one little thing, he's like, mm-hmm. you know what? Okay, we got depth. Like, screw it. No, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing in David Johnson real quick. Like, you upset me. Yep. You know, like just assuming we're already, you know, beating somebody. I'm throwing in Otto. Like, yeah, like Odo. Like you have is. options. <laughs> Keith like, Odo. That, like you just said, like right, you right. didn't have options last year, mm-hmm. so of course you can't be as hard on the kids because. What other kid are you going to replace him with? But secondly, I, d- I just think he can really drill and, and dig into his style of coaching a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, I think that's going to wrap it up for us here. Um, again, we are extremely grateful um, for you guys listening in. Shout out Sh- to Grandma D. I was about to say. Ah, I'll beat you to it. Dude, shout out to Grandma D. All the way up.